coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Monday to you. I only say that because there's such a thing as a happy Monday. Anyway, happy Monday to you. I'm trying to be pleasant to you. Uh, got lots to dive into today. I don't even know if we'll get to all of it today, but here is what's on the agenda if not today, for the next few. Um, as we face a looming government shutdown, I don't think 60 Minutes really helped the case yesterday with their segment that uh, outlines some of the additional funding or the additional ways U.S. taxpayer funding has been assisting that country in its war with Russia. I, I mean, listen, I'm all about transparency. It, the, the timing is sort of curious. I also want to talk about some Biden labor policy that we touched on in the spring that the Washington Post released an article today that really sort of outlines how important this policy is and how it's worker friendly. We seem to be dealing with a breakthrough in the Writers Guild strike in Hollywood. The actors are another matter. That's the next big tree to chop down when it comes to that. And of course, the United Auto Workers are are striking with some of the big three automakers uh, Biden, of course, joining the picket line. E- even Donald Trump sent them pizzas. No bounty paper towels with the pizzas, sir? Anyway, <laughs> so it, it's labor something, of course, worth talking about. And we got to cover the first of its kind, really. A major American city mayor decides he's leaving the Democratic Party and going to the Republican Party, insisting that cities need Republicans. Well, I don't actually disagree with him that cities need Republicans, but I don't think I'm going to agree with him the way he thinks I should. Again, that's a lot to cover. First things first, big local story that is just breaking within the last few hours this afternoon. There is obviously discord within the city of Atlanta between at least some on city council and Mayor Andre Dickens. Of course, the focus of ire being the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center proposed to be built in South DeKalb County, Cop City. Okay, so to set the table on that story just a little bit, there are at least, we know, four Atlanta City Council members who are not keen on the idea of the city spending 67 to 90 to $100 million for a public safety training facility, specifically at the location that is earmarked for such a facility. We, see, we know that because of votes. There was, however, a little bit of an insinuation last week, or at least a belief amongst those who follow city politics, that there was going to be a measure introduced at city council last week to have city council vote on just allowing a referendum to appear on a future ballot, whether it be in November or whether it be in March. There's a reason that that didn't happen, though. And I believe that... Council members Liliana Bakhtiari and or at-large city council member Keisha Sean Waits were primed and loaded to do that. And so I'll give you the behind the scenes on why that didn't happen. But also, I have to tell you, stick around because now there's a group text hissy fit going on between Mayor Dickens and one of the city council members. Mm -hmm. So the supporter report is reporting on this because they got their hands on an email that I don't think was meant for their eyes, but they got it. I'm not sure who they got it from, but they got it. John Roush reporting 
City attorneys say the Atlanta City Council cannot create its own ballot question about the Public Safety Training Center, according to a source at the council. Law Department says they don't have the authority to put it on the ballot, said the source, adding the detailed opinion is still being reviewed inside the council. An email containing the attorney's opinion obtained by Supporter Report from an anonymous source called the proposed resolution unconstitutional on several grounds. Article continues, District 5 City Council member Liliana Bakhtiari last week said she was considering the introduction of a resolution as soon as Monday to propose the referendum pending city attorney's advice. The move was intended to cut through a legal stalemate over the vote to stop Cop City effort, a similar but different attempt to create a referendum via petitions from citizens. We all know they brought, what, 11 boxes, 116,000 signatures on petitions, and then the city says, well, you turn it in a little late according to a court finding that we're going to adhere to and not the one prior to it. Back to the article. Post 3 at-large council member Keisha Sean Waits confirmed the authenticity of the email obtained by Supporter Report. Waits, a supporter of the referendum idea, called the attorney's opinion overwhelmingly disappointing. Saying, the process has been disingenuous and lacked integrity from the beginning. Are you sitting down? Because here's where she gets under the mayor's skin. I'm not sure. It appears we live in a monarchy or dictatorship style of government. The law department clearly only answers to and works for the mayor. It's indicative that the council has no power nor the will to push back. Okay, and so put a pin in that because we will come back to that. The mayor decided he wanted to take a text message to city council and clap back. But I want to go back to a paragraph later in that same supporter report article. And by the way, I will have this in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com so you can read it for yourself. The email obtained by supporter report is an opinion from Amber A. Robinson, a city attorney, was sent to the entire city council. It is marked as protected under the attorney-client privilege. It says the Georgia Constitution bans such, quote, polls without state law that does not exist in this case. So the council cannot create a referendum as proposed by Bakhtiari. The email also cites constitutional prohibitions on, quote, ex post facto laws, meaning ones that have retroactive effect, and on laws impairing contracts. Both of those prohibitions mean that any such ordinance repealing the mayor's ability to authorize the Atlanta Police Foundation's lease contract for the training center site would be unconstitutional. And to see, the thing is, I'm of the belief whether the city council did put the referendum on the ballot or whether there were enough signatures in those boxes of petitions to put the referendum on the ballot. It doesn't matter what the outcome was because mayor and APF are going to race back to attorneys and file whatever they need to to ensure that they don't have to adhere to the findings of that vote if it doesn't go their way anyway. Okay, anyway, Mayor Dickens grabbed his phone, and text messaged the group. Pop your popcorn, because here we go. This was uh, this morning, 8.57 a.m. Good morning. While a lot has been said about the PSTC, Public Safety Training Center, I was surprised to see that one of my city elected colleagues attacked me in a newspaper of all places. I've been accessible to each of you and responsive to your views as I view you as critical partners in this work. I have been in your seats and know how much pressure comes with your work. We deal directly and not in the media. Council member Keisha Waits is a career campaigner who has decided to launch her next campaign for another position next year on the backs of the men and women of the Atlanta Police and Fire Departments. That's news to all of us. 
She's playing fast and loose with the law. <laughs> the irony. Uh, and clearly cares more about her own political future than the health and safety of citizens she was sworn to protect. Wow. I certainly know that some of you all have thoughts rooted in a deep belief for the best interest of the city. But there is one among you who seeks to create a problem that she has no intention of sticking around to help us solve. Where is she going? Does he know where she's going? Council member Keisha Sean Waits responded. <laughs> yeah. While it may seem that Mayor Dickens is caught up in his emotions, I regret that he interpreted my remarks in the media as a direct attack on him. She continues, in reality, my comments are simply in response to the existing crisis regarding the city's stance on the mentally ill and our duty as responsible stewards of public trust and tax dollars. In regards to the mayor's predictions about my political plans, I find it fascinating that his crystal ball failed to warn him about the lackluster impact of the ACDC agreement. Atlanta City Detention Center. If the mayor has something to say to me, considering I occupy his former council office, he should have no trouble finding me across the hall. It is evident that Mayor Dickens is allowing his personal feelings to cloud his judgment and hinder effective communication. Instead of engaging in a productive dialogue, he chooses to make assumptions and accusations. This behavior is not befitting of a leader who should prioritize the well-being of the citizens and the efficient functioning of the city. Furthermore, the mayor's lack of awareness regarding the door opening both ways is symbolic of his disconnect from the concerns and needs of the community. It is essential for a leader to be open to different perspectives and willing to engage in constructive discussions. By isolating himself and refusing to acknowledge opposing viewpoints, Mayor Dickens is failing to fulfill his duty as a representative of the people. In conclusion, while Mayor Dickens may be stuck in his emotions and unaware of the two-way nature of the door, it is important to focus on the larger issue at hand. The concerns raised about the PSTC, Public Safety Training Center, and the responsibility we have towards the mentally ill should not be dismissed or overshadowed by personal disputes. It is crucial for the mayor and members' council to engage in meaningful conversations that address the needs of the citizens and ensure the efficient use of public resources. Only through open dialogue, and not private group text, and collaboration can we truly serve as good stewards of public confidence and tax dollars. Okay, so two points I want to make. Uh, first of all, Councilman Waits has been on this show. She's invited back anytime. Mayor Dickens has been invited on this show. Never has accepted the invitation, but is also invited on the show at any point in time. I have to point something out, though. When she responded via text to the rest of council and intertwined the Atlanta City Detention Center, and, you know, there's the, the whole kerfuffle with the Fulton County Jail and... and, and We've had guests on before who talked about uh, the mentally ill being jailed erroneously or instead of getting treatment, et cetera. Those are two separate issues, the the, the Public Safety Training Center funding and that. And I'm not sure how – I'm trying to figure out the rationale for how she is responding to his charge that her statement to the supporter report about the – Cop City referendum. I, I'm I'm trying to figure out how they mesh, and I don't. Uh, I'm just going to freely admit that I don't quite understand 
her response there. And again, she's welcome to come back on. In fact, I emailed her today. Mayor Dickens has been invited on this show, and that has gone... I, I believe I got one response email asking what I wanted to talk to the mayor about, and I gave a list. Of course, the Public Safety Training Center was on that list, but never did hear back. Going to Capital B News, Keisha Sean Waits did infer that the way Atlanta has responded to demands from voters is, quote, tantamount to voter suppression. These tactics erode public trust and confidence and cause the voters to tune out and believe that the government does not support or work for them. And, oh, look at here. I just got word seconds ago that Council Member Keisha Sean Waits will call in. If you're listening live on America One Radio, that's at about 35 past the hour. If you're listening via podcast, about minute 22. The Ron Show returns on America One Radio or wherever you podcast back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show Monday. So, I know this isn't a local story, but I think it's sort of indicative of something that can be felt in just about every major city in the country, or any city of size in the country. This story from WFAA Television in Dallas. Might have been the worst kept secret at Dallas City Hall. Eric Johnson has hinted at this for a while now. In June, Johnson had Republican Senator John Cornyn administer the oath of office for Johnson's second term. He also invited Ted Cruz as a distinguished guest. Republicans lavished praise on Johnson for switching parties. Governor Abbott posting this on X. Texas is getting more red every day. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson switches to Republican Party. The governor said he's pro-law enforcement and won't tolerate leftist agendas. Two of the 10 largest cities in America now have Republican mayors, and they are both in Texas, he wrote. By the way, the other big city is Fort Worth. Mayor Matty Parker there, a longtime Republican. Democrats, though, dismissed Johnson's announcement. The state party chairman saying in part, this announcement is neither surprising nor unwelcome. But the voters of Dallas, he said, deserve to know where he stood before he ran for re-election as mayor. Johnson wasn't honest with his constituents, the state chairman said, and knew that he would lose to a Democrat if he flipped before the election. Johnson did run unopposed. But what does all this mean in a literal sense? At City Hall, probably not much. Technically, mayors and city councils in Texas are nonpartisan, even though those folks likely vote their political ideology. The question is, does Eric Johnson stay on as Dallas mayor for the next four years, or does he run for something else with his new party label? Well, <laughs> I mean, come on. But does this not remind you of a story we had not all that long ago here in Metro Atlanta when we had... Someone in the General Assembly get elected and then announce that she's switching parties? Well, yeah, that happened. Misha Maynard just did this in July, right here. Anyway, getting back to Dallas, Mayor Johnson in a Wall Street Journal op-ed wrote, I have no intention of changing my approach to my job, but today I'm changing my party affiliation. Next spring, I will be voting in the Republican primary. When my career in elected office ends in 2027, on the inauguration of my successor as mayor, I will leave office as a Republican. He also said, American cities need Republicans, and Republicans need American cities. I actually agree with him that American cities need Republicans. And yes, I believe from an electoral standpoint that Republicans need American cities as well. See, conservatives long ago, were needed not to have fled American cities during the post-immigration white flight era 
from, say, the mid-20th century into the 21st century. But hey, what's done is done, right? Today, though, American cities need Republicans to do more than just drive the suburban assault vehicles, the SUV, on American city streets to commute to their jobs in these American cities where the infrastructure that white flight left behind was left to be maintained by an economic base also abandoned and underfunded once a majority of the non-marginalized citizens left those American cities. Yeah, those streets and that infrastructure suffered over time, but not from mismanagement. It suffered from a lack of capital, from abandonment. American cities need Republicans to stop blocking investments in that infrastructure at the state and federal level, to stop blocking money for mass transit and public schooling, and for them to stop insisting that, quote, more cops is the answer to crime instead of planting the seeds to create more opportunities for the marginalized in American cities. Because abundant studies show that more police doesn't mean reduce crime, but that equal opportunity actually does. Mayor Johnson spoke a little bit about that in his Wall Street Journal op-ed. Too often, local tax dollars are spent on policies that exacerbate homelessness, <laughs> coddle criminals, and make it harder for ordinary people to make a living. And too many local Democrats insist on virtue signaling, proposing half-baked government programs that aim to solve every single societal ill and on finding new ways to thumb their noses at Republicans at the state and federal level. Enough. This makes for good headlines, but not for safer, stronger, more vibrant cities. Mayor Johnson is completely wrong, especially about homelessness. Homelessness is a result of lack of opportunity and lack of mental health care options. Not just for those that are homeless, but for exhausted and incapable friends and relatives who haven't the means to care for those folks. Seriously, point me to one Republican proposal that cares to address homelessness as anything but somehow hiding them. Hell, the only tangible solution I can think of is the many times that GOP-led states would bust their homeless up and send them to larger progressive cities. Mayor Johnson, and your party too, I guess I can speak to both of you here. American cities need more for mental health when two-thirds of those incarcerated suffer from mental disadvantages. And American cities need the states surrounding them to realize the homelessness seen in those cities, streets, can more often be traced back to the suburbs and rural America. Oh, and again, to mental health challenges. Republicans that live outside American cities, I'm using air quotes here, have spent the greater part of the last six decades telling their base that, quote, liberal run, inferring to that, black managed cities are inept because their leaders are. I'm sorry, sir, but that dog whistle won't hunt. They're like the philandering husband who abandons his wife and kids for greener pastures and then pivots to point back to his ex, proclaiming, well, she's an unfit mother, while denying the family he abandoned any investment in their well-being. If we knew that guy, we'd call him a self-absorbed prick lacking in self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, American cities need Republicans, all right. Need Republicans to move back to the city, to invest in the city, to accept that half a century or more of bad faith politicking and demonizing with terms like inner city and urban have a lot to do with what ails the American city today, sir. Now, here in Atlanta, don't think for one second we couldn't see a similar pivot in our mayor's office. I think the political fortunes of Mayor Andre Dickens have nosedived 
just since January. I, I have said this many times. I think outside of, air quotes, Cop City, I think the mayor's done a pretty credible job. But now that we're starting to kind of get a sense that, well, maybe there were some backroom deals made, the Buckhead City referendum quietly getting snuffed out in the General Assembly by even Republicans, the sudden disinterest in the state in having any notion of taking over the city's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. It just makes you wonder if there are some backroom dealings that went on. Okay, we'll not do this, but we need you to do that. It's just curious to see as we get closer to his announcing his re-election for the mayor's office. If he does, if he stays on the left side of the aisle, we'll be watching. Council member Keisha Sean Waits may have something to say about that. We have her on next. Stand by for that. Get your popcorn. Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Well, I didn't exactly have this plan for the show, but we're going to take this. This is an opportunity to talk with one of our Atlantic City Council members. Let's do that. Yeah, and uh, Keisha Sean Waits joins us. Madam Council Member, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh uh, just having fun and uh, doing the business. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I couldn't help but notice uh, on social media today, there's a, an exchange of text messages between uh, city council members, uh, including yourself and uh, Mayor Dickens. And it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk anyway. And the Public Safety Training Center topic has been such a hot topic of debate. And we've all watched this process play out. And some, some of us quieter than others I said all along, and I think what you were trying to say uh, via the supporter report and even with Capital B News was like, the narrative has been fumbled away on this. Any agreement that there might have been on on a public training facility, whether it be there or anywhere, the narrative has been fumbled by leaders, the Atlanta Police Foundation, et cetera, and so on. And it seems as if the mayor is starting to feel the heat. Would you get the same sense? (laughs) Uh, First of all, I want to say, Two things. One, you know, I was a no vote on this issue from the very beginning, mm-hmm. given how, uh, in my opinion, the the process lacked transparency and integrity. So that's the first piece. Right. So I found like it was, I felt like it was very convoluted. And mm-hmm. so since that vote, I have remained completely silent on this issue. And the thought is that this play out in court. You know, there there is a desire for a ballot referendum. Uh, if it moves forward, we'll let the process play out. I will stay out of that for two reasons. One, the mayor uh, is the authorized agent to speak on behalf of our city. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to say anything in conflict with the administration because I don't think that's in the best interest of the city. Right. However, things have changed. Uh, 116,000 individuals signed a petition speaking to their desire for a referendum vote, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is more... Uh, uh, individuals who voted in the last mayoral election, right? Right, and so uh, my feeling is, given the number of individuals, nearly a thousand people came to City Hall and voiced opposition to this project. And so my plan was to join my colleague Liliana Battiari in introducing legislation to put this on the ballot for a vote. Right. Mm-hmm. So my thought is, you know, whether you for it, whether you're against it, this solves all the problems. Right. The vote. Atlanta will weigh in on a $67 million conversation. So for me, Ron, our democracy is at stake. And I think this sets a dangerous 
president, given that the text message exchange was leaked, uh, which I have my suspicions about who leaked it, uh, there is a misinformation campaign uh, where I have been attacked saying that I, I do not support law enforcement, which is I think frivolous and disrespectful given that I have advocated uh, that APD officers are the highest paid in the region. Right. I voted in support of pay increases. I voted in support of take-home vehicles. Uh, during my tenure as a state representative, I authored the Fallen Hero Bill, which says that if any officer statewide is killed in the line of duty, his dependent, his family would never pay a dime to go to school in the state of Georgia. Mm. That is my legislation. So that clearly is not someone that is anti-police. Uh, when there was a conversation surrounding defund the police, I spoke up again as a state representative and said, this is a dangerous president. This is not how we resolve our issues. You don't want it to be us versus them. Mm. Let's collaborate and let's fix the issue in terms of the challenges that we have seen with officers who have uh, behaved uh, unfavorably. Right. Uh, I believe that this is a distraction to deflect uh, from the mayor's, the mayor's failed campaign promises. Uh, I don't know if you remember, the mayor was the sponsor uh, and authorized the legislation to convert the Atlanta Detention Center, ACDC, into an equity and wellness center. Mm. Uh, however, however, after becoming the mayor of Atlanta, he reneged and flip-flopped on that promise. Mm. Uh, I was a no vote on giving the jail to Fulton County or leasing space because it was my feeling that we did not have a uh, humanitarian crisis, that instead we had a leadership crisis. Uh, and you have seen the results uh, with the multiple deaths that have happened uh, at the Fulton County Jail. And now we're talking about shipping nearly a thousand uh, inmates to another state, which I, I find to be absolutely egregious. Uh, we have seen $120,000 of taxpayer dollars. Uh, being spent on a party that was not sanctioned by the Atlanta City Council, a uh, $120,000 uh, uh, price tag, which violates all city policies. And now it's under investigation by the Office of Inspector General. Mm. Uh, you have seen Clark Atlanta students devastated by recent flooding issues uh, that have not been addressed in terms of infrastructural improvements, which, of course, $120,000 could have gone a long way to address the drainage issues uh, that you see in that community. Maybe some of the $67 million going to a public safety training facility. Well, let's keep going. Uh, Wellstar, the Atlanta Medical Center. Right. Uh, no one seemed to notice that Wellstar and AMC was about to close, leaving Grady as the only level one trauma center uh, in the region, which is absolutely dangerous uh, and uh, a homeland security issue for our city, given the size of our city, having one level one trauma hospital. So mm. again, the constituents have been failed, uh, given that the city did not step in and lean forward regarding this decision. And now, you know, as a policymaker, Ron, we have a right to disagree on issues of policy and not be attacked personally. And, you know, I regret that the mayor has uh, become emotional and uh, has has resulted to personal attacks. And I think that's that's un so unfortunate. But we cannot be distracted. We have an affordable housing crisis in Atlanta. Yes, we have a massive 
homeless and unsheltered population. Right. Uh, we are in a situation where we lock up those that are mentally ill because right. we have not provided the provision to really address these types of issues. And at the end of the day, it is my hope that we can go back to focusing on people and families. And uh, I deeply regret that the mayor has gotten in bed uh, with the Republican Party in hopes of uh, funding a future gubernatorial campaign, but yet has failed to deliver uh, on promises made to the citizens of Atlanta. What is the implication you believe he's making about your political ambitions beyond this year? It's no secret uh, that I have advocated for uh, the underserved community, that I've advocated uh, for an equity and wellness center. Those things are not secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he he is talking about my political career, uh, the mayor, just the same way that he was allowed to run uh, for mayor of Atlanta in terms of, of going to the next level, uh, I, I'm not necessarily sure what he is referencing. Uh, I have been told multiple times that he has an interest on being governor of our great state. And uh, I, I have expressed that at some point in time that I have some political ambitions as well. But right now, it seems to me that while he's spending time, you know, in terms of a crystal ball, uh, looking at what my potential uh, 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 ambitions may be or aspirations may be, he has failed to notice the violent wave of crime. There were three individuals that were shot this weekend. Mm. Uh, We had eight shot on Northside Drive uh, several months ago. We lost Zion Cameron and DeAsia Powell, which, you know, I offered a solution of a youth curfew. I've offered a solution in terms of cameras uh, at all gas stations. So right now, I I would hope that he's interested in offering solutions versus speculating regarding my uh, political ambitions because my focus has been completely and totally on the the citizens of Atlanta. Without naming names, are there any members of Atlanta City Council that you may have felt were wavering a little bit when the 11-4 vote came down? I mean, that that, that outcome, the, the, the number of people, the swell of folks who showed up to speak to City Council about the uh, Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility, it, it, you, you had to have been in a coma not to have felt something if you were even maybe just 60% on one side or the other? The personal attacks that I have experienced, I think, are reflective of what happens when you go against uh, folks who have positions of authority and influence. Mm. And fortunately, my thought is in the minority. Uh, I don't know who did not see the hundreds of people. I saw maybe three people that day come and speak uh, as a supporter of this initiative. And let me be very clear. I do believe we need uh, a public safety annex. I do. Thank you for saying However, that. However, I believe that the voters of Atlanta should weigh in given the cost associated. And let me tell you something else that people haven't thought about. Mm. These funds are coming from the general fund, right? These are taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. So don't think that your property taxes are not going to be impacted by a $67 million price tag. Mm-hmm. Someone is going to pick up that checkbook, that check. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the citizens of Atlanta. So I think that, you know, this is another wag the dog attempt to deflect from failed campaign promises and the $67 million that's being asked of the taxpayers. And so, you know, oftentimes people get emotional uh, when it comes uh, time to deliver. And uh, I believe uh, that my focus has been on the citizens of Atlanta in offering solutions of a curfew and offering solutions of cameras uh, in repurposing the Wellstar facility. And and those are the only things that I have done is advocate uh, for the 116,000 individuals that have been completely disrespected and ignored. 
We are on with Council Member Keisha Sean Waits. Uh, Council Member Waits, the Fulton County Sheriff's Department, or Fulton County in itself, wants to build its own public safety training facility, I think to the tune of $15 million and somewhere, get this, in Fulton County. Why is that not an option to collaborate with Fulton County, since most of Atlanta city limits are in Fulton County, to save some money, put some of that $67 million, much less of it, obviously, into a coordinated effort with Fulton County on a, on a facility that would not be in uh, a piece of property that is environmentally, you know, uh, dangerous or, uh, you know, you get cries of environmental racism from nearby uh, neighborhoods that are majority minority. So, so thing. So th- this is, this is a pattern of behavior, right? It's the same dog that we fought years. And that is the issue of equity. Mm. It is easier to put something like that and uh, uh, an African-American community. Right. What's sad is, is the fact that the people who live in that community don't even get to weigh in on the conversation. I know. And the 116,000 people who weighed in on the conversation have been completely silenced, uh, given uh, a technicality and a court maneuver. Mm. You cannot say that you support democracy and then secretly go to court and file an injunction to block and circumvent the entire legal process. And I think it's a sham. I think that uh, the process has lacked complete integrity. And uh, I think that uh, at the end of the day, there will be consequences. I believe the voters will not forget the betrayal. I want to go back to the Fulton County concept, though. Has has anybody brought this up in conversation, quietly, off the grid, anything? I mean, this this just seems like the rational off-ramp. Unfortunately, with the text messaging campaign, Uh, you know, the goal is to alienate uh, my colleagues and to give the appearance that, you know, I'm the only one that has an opposing viewpoint. And the tactic is get, is is, to, is fear and intimidation. The goal is to disparage me uh, in the public eye and, and give the perception that this is a political stunt when in reality uh, there are 116,000 families that are impacted by this conversation. $67 million is not a drop in the bucket. Mm. This is a significant amount of money that could immediately change the lives of all of our citizens and small business owners who are hurting uh, every single day mm. to make ends meet. So I take this conversation very, very seriously, and and I hope the mayor does as well. Okay. One last question I want to ask you about. You you mentioned the text messages. Obviously, uh, someone leaked the text messages. Uh, the Atlanta Community Press Collective shared screen grabs of the text messages. They seem to show that uh, your responses are in green, which would belie that the text messages they got came from well, you. Though. I saw it, and it didn't even print my entire response, which is crazy. And so, you know, those are the tactics that I am talking about. And in my response, I am talking about the need to refocus the issue back on people and families. My entire message is not even printed. And that's how I know that, you know, th- this is clearly another p- political stunt. So you're sa- you're saying there are portions of your text responses that never made the light of day? Never did. Never. Will you be releasing them? Uh, yes. In fact, I'm in the process right now of, p- of putting these screenshots on my social media as well as uh, sending out an email to the entire city. All right. And make sure that uh, folks that are listening know where they can find that. Absolutely. Text me your uh, email address and I'll shoot it over to you as well. I absolutely will. Uh, Council Member Keisha Sean Waits, I want to thank you, f- you know, again, for your transparency here. It's been hard getting anyone from city council on this show since this issue blossomed. Uh, last winter well, again fe- once again fear and intimidation and uh you know it's just it's really really uh 
our democracy is truly at stake. Yeah, I agree. I have never seen anything like this uh, where you have a city mayor uh, attack a member of council on a policy issue. That is unusual to me. And even when I was a member of the General Assembly, I would often disagree with the governor and speaker on many issues. Mm-hmm. But yet I have never experienced anything like this on the state level. So to experience this uh, in a municipal level, it's very, very disappointing. You're right. It's breathtaking. Absolutely so. All right. I'm going to send you my email address here shortly. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, text it to me. And, uh, and I thank you again for joining us on The Ron Show today. You bet. Again, as I said at the start of today's show, in full transparency, we have invited Mayor Dickens on this show a number of times, only to be greeted with static for the most part. Several of the council members have been invited on. Some have actually been on. We have tried to get Liliana Bakhtiari on for quite a while, and there just seems to always be some sort of a communication hang-up or snafu. I don't want to read into that, but she's welcome to join the show as well, as is Council President Doug Shipman and the entire city council dais. Our thanks to Keisha Sean Waits for joining us. Okay, one more segment. I can't believe I only have one more segment. I told you stuff was going to get blown over to the next show or the rest of the week, right? More on show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show final segment. Entire show just got blown up, but for a great get, I think. I'm pretty happy, and I enjoyed talking with Keisha Sean Waits today as I did uh, last time she was on the show. I believe last fall, was it? So I do have a lot more to cover, and we won't be able to get to it all today. This is the shortest segment of the show, and I really want to dive into the whole 60 Minutes Ukraine piece. That piece last night was, I I mean, listen, I'm all about journalism and report on the story when the story's done, et cetera, and so on, but the timing is like, ugh, cringy. Uh, Because there is a lot of pushback, particularly from the hard right, the MAGA right, uh, about Ukraine funding. Obviously, Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to withhold all funding, knowing full well that like, if we withdrew funding to aid Ukraine in their war, fending off Russian invasion, that Ukraine would fall like nearly immediately. Within weeks, months maybe, that would just go by the wayside. And what's the stop of Vladimir Putin, and emboldened Vladimir Putin at that point, from continuing on into allied countries? I mean, we lived through this historically in the 1930s and 1940s. We should learn from history instead of trying to suppress it. Um, what else? I wanted to talk uh, about a Washington Post piece where uh, the Biden administration's National Labor Relations Board has been sort of looking to fend off non-compete clauses. To me, they're, they're disgusting. I, I think they should be illegal. Uh, I think they're anti-worker. And we hear from politicians all the time about being how pro-worker they are, pro-jobs, uh, except when big business wants to keep an employee from going across town once being terminated or le- leaving for whatever reason necessary, starting their own business even, uh, and competing with big business. I mean, that's that's anti-worker. That's anti-freedom, right? Or not liberty. They love freedom and liberty. They love to drape the words over their shoulders, freedom, liberty except when the non-complete uh, compete clause comes into being. Obviously, as elections grow closer, we get a lot more border BS. A lot more border BS. Marsha Blackburn, that's about all she can talk about on social media is the border. Tennessee, by the way, only bordered by <laughs> Arkansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, I think a smidge of Virginia, and Georgia, of course. But that southern border, man, she is... 
laser focused on the southern border. Uh, we'll have to disseminate some of that tomorrow again because I am running short on time. I'm glad that Council Member Keisha Sean Waits actually touched on the Fulton County Jail situation. That's something we haven't touched on on this show, and we'll put some guests together and have some more conversations about that in the coming days and weeks. Obviously, the jail is overcrowded. The city of Atlanta had been leasing jail beds to the county to aid with that, and now the Fulton County Sheriff Labatt is looking to ship about 1,000 Fulton County inmates to other states, not just other communities, other states. We had a guest on just a few weeks ago that discussed and brought to my attention, I didn't really know the statistic, that two-thirds, upwards of two-thirds of those incarcerated in the state and country uh, are usually suffering from a physical and or mental uh, disadvantage. And how how does it help to, to ship somebody states away from their loved ones if they're already dealing with with a mental disadvantage while incarcerated to begin with. That is horrific. I, I fail to see why that's a, a, a cogent response. Again, this is, this is that missing portion of government, limited government, where we don't have mental health facilities for those who may be a danger to themselves or society if released to the public, but they don't necessarily need to be in a prison setting either. Going to go ahead and get this out of the way. A lot of discussion, especially in the Beltway up in Washington, about what should be done about Senator Robert Menendez. I, I think he should step down. He's, he's already been taken off of all of his uh, key appointments. I think, I think he should step down, step aside. I know he's running for re-election in 2024, which, uh, okay. But with the allegations before him, and this is not the first time he's dealt with with these sort of allegations, I think it's time for time for Bob Menendez to step aside. I'm, I'm not a big term limits guy, but he's been there a while. And again, this is not the first time that impropriety has come up with his name attached to it. It's it's see th- this is how it works, Republicans. You you announce you you get behind your bad apples being removed, and I would agree that not enough Democrats are saying that. Although I think uh, Sh- uh, Senator Sherrod Brown has. Uh, Fetterman from uh, Pennsylvania has, New Jersey's governor has said that he should step down. New Jersey's Democratic governor, by the way, would be who appoints Bob Menendez's replacement. So there's that. And listen, this is lending credibility to the shadow campaign uh, conspiracy theory, one that I'm sort of subscribed to a little bit. This headline, Fox News Channel, Sean Hannity, to moderate the red state v. blue state debate between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and California Governor Gavin Newsom, that'll take place November 30th here in the state of Georgia. Uh, A location yet to be determined, but somewhere in the state of Georgia. The release today says Fox News Channel Sean Hannity will moderate a red versus blue state debate between Florida Governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis and Democrat California Governor Gavin Newsom on November 30th. Uh, The 90-minute debate, which will take place at location to be determined in Georgia, will air on Fox News Channel's Hannity at 9 p.m. Eastern. Hannity first raised the prospect of a debate with Governor Newsom during his exclusive sit-down this past June. By the way, Gavin Newsom owned him in that debate. Following which, Governor Stannis officially signed on to participate in July. This will mark the first time the two prominent governors will face off in a debate. In commenting on the announcement, Hannity said, quote, I'm looking forward to providing viewers with an informative debate. 
about the everyday issues and governing philosophies that impact the lives of every American. That's a pretty good Sean Hannity. I'm like, oh, I'm totally off the cuff. I'm telling you, shadow campaign. That's what that smacks of. If Trump can't, if Biden can't, these two likely. Anyway, that's it for the Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you, Keisha Sean Waits, for joining us today.